Amen. Hey, once again, we're in our study, World Religions, Cults, and the Occult. Mary, number 14, is? And Debbie, the first thing is? Debbie. And you just whipped that baby out. You weren't even, you, sorry, Mary, we got a little competitive there. I think she beat you on that one. But, uh, but anyway, <laughs> that's right. We are in our study, Witchcraft and the Rise of Wicca. And, of course, does uh, Debbie got it right, too, as long with Mary, that uh, our recap, of course, that we looked uh, so far in our trail of our study. It's been a while. Definition is the first thing we've been dealing with, the types of witchcraft, the location, the protection. Of course, the right answer is always... Jesus, okay, you need to turn to him to be protected, and if you're involved in it, turn to him to get saved uh, and get out of that, okay, as we saw there before. Then we took a look at the history of witchcraft, and that was a big portion of our study, and what we learned was uh, witchcraft, i.e. Wicca, uh, is nothing new under the sun. This has been going on ever since the fall of Babylon, and it went from Babylon to Egypt to Greece to Rome to Asia to India, the island countries to Africa, went to Latin America, back to hop the pond over to Europe, and that's basically where a lot of so-called modern Wicca has come from. It's just old-fashioned witchcraft. They just changed the name. That's all they did. It's witchcraft through and through, okay? And so we begin to take a look at then, okay, let's take a look at this thing called Wicca, this old-fashioned repackaged witchcraft. We took a look at the history of that uh, as well, and we made it through that section, and then we began to tear, tear it down. What do they believe? We started with the beliefs of Wicca, and if you were here last time, we saw that we did some generalities of what they believe, and it's kind of hard to codify because they're so eclectic. Okay, they just kind of make it up as they go. Why? Because one of their major beliefs, the in, how do they discern what is true? It's all experience, i.e. relativism. It's whatever I believe is true to me, whatever you believe is true to you, and they're just making it up as they go. It's not only popular in our culture, that's the underpinnings of Wicca, i.e. witchcraft today. They take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's kind of new agey in thinking, and, uh, and basically it's the same lie from Satan in Genesis chapter 3 when he approached Eve. What? You don't, don't listen to God. Don't, don't do what God says, you follow Satan, and what? You will be like God. You will get to decide what's good and evil. You'll just, and that's, that's the whole basis, the live Genesis 3 of witchcraft. Then we saw, of course, their big thing was tolerance. Oh, we will tolerate anyone. Come one, come all. Doesn't matter who you are. Really? We saw a talk about hypocrite uh, for those in the South. Uh, no, you don't. You don't tolerate me. You don't tolerate Christianity. You don't even tolerate our president. Okay, which leads to the next thing. They have this, we have a creed of no creed. Their ethics is the Wiccan read that basically see, says, and ye harm none, do what you will. Really? So you're so peaceful and wonderful and you don't harm, no, you do whatever you want, just don't harm anybody. Really? Then why are you praying against the president, as we're going to even see tonight, uh, why are you putting hexes and curses and spells, and frankly, why are you killing animals and people in your sacrifices? Last time I checked, that's harming things. Okay, so again, double hypocrisy on there as well. Then we saw, of course, they believe in what's called animism, that all has a life force, which leads to their next belief, pantheism, pan all, all is God, which then leads to another hypocritical, and dare I say, illogical point, polytheism, that there's many gods. Well, how could there be many gods, which means there's a bunch, but not all, but then you just said you believe in pantheism, that all is God. What? That don't make sense. But really what it boils down to is most of them, and again, it's hard to codify, most of them believe in what's called dual theism. They worship two deities. Of course, it's all demonic. It's not true. Uh, because the Bible says how many gods? One. There is only one God. Hello. Okay. And that's not just biblical. That's logical, right? God, by definition, is the supreme being, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present. If there was another God, then guess what? One of them ain't supreme, or neither supreme, because you got somebody to compete with. 
Okay, it's illogical to say that there's more than one supreme being because by definition you wouldn't have a supreme being. Okay, it's ridiculous. Okay, but anyway, so they they worship duotheism, the female mother goddess and the male horn god. Okay, that's where we left off last time with their beliefs. Now we're going to move on and we're going to get into their symbolism and their practices, okay, as we're getting closer to finishing out our study. But once again, shocker, let's remind ourselves from the Bible why you should never, ever, ever get involved in witchcraft and occult practices. Our text tonight is Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 through 22, okay? And as you turn there, just to solve some time, of course, Isaiah was written by Isaiah, you guys are on the ball. Isaiah chapter 8, Debbie, page 1090 in my Bible, if that helps you get there faster. Uh, Isaiah chapter 8. And the text uh, that I have here that we're going to read, it starts with this topic, fear God, right? God is God. He's the one and only God. He's the one who made the heavens and the earth. He's the one who's only worthy of worship. He is holy. He is without sin, right? You need to do what he says to do. He is God. Don't listen to these other people, including those in the occult, okay? Unfortunately, Israel was listening to them, and boy, does God have strong words once again for those who make that mistake, but here's what he says, uh, verse 11, the Lord spoke to me, Isaiah said, and his strong hand was upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people, Okay, and here's what he said. Do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And he will be a sanctuary. But for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They're being disciplined by God because they're not following him and doing what he says to do. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble and they will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Bind up the testimony and seal up the law among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. So again, God is disciplining Israel. Once again, for disobedience, we'll find out what it was, okay? But then Isaiah says this, here I am, here am I, and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and what? Symbols in Israel from who? The Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. Israel was to be a sign, a symbol of who? Right? They were a light unto the Gentiles. People were to to take a look at Israel, the Jewish people, and it was going to be a sign, a symbol to point to God and their need of a Savior and things of that nature. Okay? But that's not what they were doing. Here's what they were following. When men tell you to consult what? Mediums and spiritists who what? Who whisper and mutter. Oh, see, you think that they're speaking in so-called tongues. They're in there sitting around there doing their incantations. That's what the occult does. So we saw before. Uh, Should not a people inquire of their God? Why are you listening to that? What are you doing? It's crazy. That's what he's saying. I can't believe you guys are doing this. Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? So what's that called? Necromancy, mediumship, things of that nature. Are you you serious? You got God's law and then you're going to do that? It's nuts right? To the law and to the testimony, right? If they do not speak according to this word, i.e. God's word, they got no light of, of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they'll roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upon will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Why? What was the purpose? Why was God disciplining them so hard? Because once again, they were not doing what God said to do. They were not following God as if God's going to ever lead you astray. As if there's ever a command from God that's bad for you. Hello, 
They're all good. Instead, what was Israel doing? Once again, they were following and listening and heeding the so-called advice and direction of those who were involved in witchcraft. And so guess what that leads to? It certainly led to their pain, to distress, to doom, to darkness, to destruction. And guess what? It's the same thing today. Anybody who wants to forsake God's word and you want to go down that occult route, you want to listen to them, you're going to get the same thing. It's going to catch up to you, man. One day it's going to lead to pain and darkness and gloom and destruction. And dare I say, not just for the individual, but once again, you better be careful. It's going to happen to not just Israel, it happened to any country who goes down that occult route. That is the fruit of the occult. And God's watching it all. He can see it all, okay? So it's the same thing today. So we're going to continue to take a look at Wiccan's uh, symbolism and practices. And really tonight, all we're going to be able to get into is this one. That's the symbolism, okay? Now, I can't get to all of them. There's way too many. I'm just going to have to hit some of the big guns. But as you can see there, and the reason why I was excited to get to this part is because you might be out there in public, and you're seeing some of these symbols. This isn't all of them. And we'll deal with the other ones tonight. But you may see some of these symbols in graffiti. You may see them on bumper stickers. You may see a lot of these on people's tattoos. Okay, but you don't recognize that that means they're promoting and or very well well involved in the occult. Or that's a sign from the occult in your neighborhood with that graffiti that this is what's going on in your neighborhood at night and you don't have any idea because you don't know the symbols. Right? And so that's what we're going to deal with tonight. Okay? Again, as we just saw in our text, that was the sad news. Israel was supposed to be a sign, was supposed to be a symbol of who? Of God. But why did God discipline them? Because they became a symbol of what? Witchcraft. Can you believe that? Because that's what they followed. And so God had to discipline them, okay? So let's take a look at this. And now when it comes to signs and symbols, that's not necessarily a, a foreign thing, okay? Many uh, belief systems codify uh, their beliefs in symbols, Okay, now what we're going to see with witchcraft, it isn't just symbols to codify a belief of their belief system. These symbols also get worked into their practice, okay, to be a part of their rituals, okay, as well on top of that. So Wiccans use all kinds of different symbols, as you just saw with the picture there, in their everyday lives and in their magical practices, okay. Sometimes they use them, these symbols, they carry them around, they make them like uh, talismans, good luck charms, but they also use them not just like, oh, that symbolizes the triple goddess, as we'll see in a second. No, no, no. It's also to be used supposedly for protection. Sometimes they also wear them, display them in their rituals because with these symbols, they're also supposed to Uh, give them power as well. So again, they work with symbols and energies and spells and the rituals. uh, And if it's supposed to keep uh, back the negative energies, the thoughts and intentions, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And again, they they codify them with an ambulance and jewelry and things of that nature all combined. But symbols are a huge part of the occult, certainly Wicca and witchcraft. So I'm going to break it down for you. And we're going to take a look at a few of them tonight. Now, the first one I want to share with you is these two symbols. As you can see there, that's the one on the left is the goddess. Remember the duotheism, the female mother goddess, and the male horned god. But if you see these symbols, that's basically uh, out in public or wherever, that's basically what they're talking about. Now, as you can see there on the goddess one, there's three aspects to it, and it's on purpose. They're the three phases of the moon, which I'll get to in a second. They're on the left, and then this, the circle, the full moon, and then on the right, the, the crescents on the other side there. Uh, they represent the three phases of a female's life. Remember, this is the female goddess that they worship, okay? And the, the one on the left is the maiden, 
right? And that represents uh, young. And then the, uh, uh, the mother, basically the prime of the life of the woman. And then the crone, again, no relation, no relation, no relation. Uh, the crone is supposed to be when she's like really old, and but she's got wisdom, you know, and blah, blah, blah. So that's kind of what that symbolizes, okay? Uh, now, let's break it down a little bit. Now, the one on the left there, the crescent, the waxing moon, is it called? So, and this is from Wicca. Uh, symbolizes to them fresh starts and new beginnings. Why? Because that's supposed to be at that youthful age, right? Remember the days when you could actually uh, go until four o'clock in the morning and then you get up two hours later and head straight to work and you don't miss a beat? Remember those days? Remember those days when you could go out there and just tear it up all week long and whatever and you just spring out of bed and your body's functioning correctly. There's no aches and pains. And Remember those days back in 1922? You know? <laughs> Uh, but that's what it is. It symbolizes supposedly fresh starts and new beginnings, you know, that phase. Okay. Now, again, notice they don't just have the symbol codifying the belief of the female goddess. Notice it actually is a part of the practice because this tells them when to do their rituals. Do you see what I'm saying here? Understand the multiplicity of the symbols of this. So in the waxing moon, that's when they want to do rituals for new beginnings and things of that nature. Now, the, the middle one, the circle there, is the full moon, and that's a time for, quote, practicing all magic because that's when they believe it is, quote, pregnant with power. Okay, so that's why you see a lot of the occult do their rituals on a full moon because I think that's a really prime time. Okay, uh, the waning moon, that's the third one there, okay, is a time of, quote, endings. And that's when they believe that's the best time to perform the rituals for banishings, clearings, and endings. Okay, uh, so if you want to get rid of something, then that's at this cycle when you want to go out at night and do your ritual uh, as well. They also have uh, what's called the uh, new moon. And uh, but uh, when there's a new moon, they don't, uh, in theory, do magic at that time because that's a time for rest and contemplation. Okay, Uh, but then there's also you may have heard the phrase blue moon. Remember that phrase once in a what blue moon? Well, believe it or not, that has significance in the occult. Okay, Uh, uh, the blue moon is the 13th. Now, we're going to get into this a little bit tonight. The 13th. Okay, the occult is huge on numbers. Not just symbols, but numbers. And I'll give you a little teaser tonight. But 13 is certainly one of those numbers. Three is also another big number we'll get to in a little bit. But the blue moon is the 13th moon in a year. Okay? The saying once in a blue moon means once in a great while. So the blue moon is not a common occurrence, and they believe that it's a great time to do special empowered magical workings because that's an unusual occurrence in the moon. Uh, in the phase there. So that's what they want to do. Now, let's go back to that next one. The next one is the what? The horn god. Remember that? And it's a symbol that looks like it's got a crescent moon on the top. You got the full moon on the bottom. The full moon on the bottom is supposed to represent the head of the horn god thing. And of course, the crescent moon represents the what? The horns. Shocker. I wonder who came up with that idea. Okay. But the horn god, uh, again, is supposed to represent, you know, mankind's untamed, natural, blah, blah, blah. So let's just take a look at, uh, at that real quick. Like other religions, Wicca has its own symbols which carry spiritual meanings and sacred power. You have likely seen some of them before, so here's an opportunity to learn their meanings and origins. The triple moon is a symbol of the goddess that represents the maiden, mother, and crone. These are considered to be the three stages in a woman's life and are represented by the waxing, full, and waning moon. 
This symbol is also associated with feminine energy, mystery, and psychic abilities. The horned god is the symbol of the masculine aspect of the divine. He is associated with nature, wilderness, sexuality, and hunting. In traditional Wicca, the horned god and the triple goddess are seen as equal and opposite in gender polarity. Together, they make up the dual aspect of the Wiccan pantheon. So, anyway, that's kind of what it is. Now, the horn god, let me do a little bit more on that one. Uh, the name horn god uh, comes actually from a French word, surununo, or surunos, and it means horned one, okay? But the horn god uh, symbol also represents, we've talked about this uh, guy before, pan. Okay, if you guys recall that, in fact, let's pull up a picture here. Pan, and pan has got what? What's he playing? He's got a flute there. Okay, uh, now Pan, as we saw before, uh, is a, a, a deity which is demonic. Okay, but it comes all the way as far back as ancient Greek. Okay, and and back then, and he's supposed to be the god of the wild and the flocks and the mountains and the wilds and something called music. Okay, that's why he's got the flute there. Uh, as you can see depicted, he's got hindquarters, legs, and the horns of a goat. He's also affiliated with uh, sexual behavior because he's supposed to be a god of fertility and things of that nature. But he gets into, and I'm not even going to show you uh, some of the horrific things that this entity gets into and encourages people in the cult to get into. Now, what's interesting is we saw before, this is where we get our word panic from. It comes from this uh, occult belief system, the so-called god Pan. And uh, as the uh, saying goes, uh, one day Pan, this critter, was disturbed in his secluded afternoon naps, and Pan's angry shout inspired a panic. And so that's actually where we get that. Ah, okay. Now, he's also, again, uh, associated with uh, erotic aspects, again, the, the sexual part, because, listen to this, women who had sexual relations with several men were referred to as pan girls. Okay, is where that phrase come from. That's what it means. Also, shocker, he's associated with music. Okay, and I'm sure that today's music industry doesn't uh, uh, put people into a, a panic or unrest or agitated state or anything of nature. And certainly the music industry does not encourage erotic uh, sexual and moral behavior. Yeah, it's the same thing going on still today, unfortunately. But then in the late 19th century, Pan became increasingly common figure in literature uh, and then in poetry, novels, and in children's book. In fact, he's referenced in the name of Peter Pan. Once again, Disney what? Picked an occult behavior, okay, a, a, a character, and made a whole series out of it. Okay, and again, notice he's not what? He's not just Peter Pan. What's he playing? The flute. It's the exact same entity. And again, as we saw, the pattern is Disney. It's like, man, can't you guys come up with some different storyline once in a while? Why do you have to go around the world and pull out all these occult figures and then glamorize it with a cartoon? Okay, so that's where Panic came from. Now, as you can see there with that picture, that also identifies him with guess who? Even though witches say they have nothing to do with Satan. Okay, with the Baphomet, as we saw before. Uh, and things of that nature, which we'll probably get into more in our study, Lord willing, coming next, if we're still alive, we're still here on Satanism. Uh, but this is where the common pictures of Satan with the horns and stuff, it comes from, again, Pan, associated with that as well. Okay, now, that's the first uh, symbols, the dual theism, the mother goddess and the male horn god. The next one is called the spiral 
Okay. Now notice the spiral uh, is associated with what? The female aspect there, the mother goddess. Okay. And notice on this one, you got the three aspects of the triple moon phases and things of that nature. But let's take a look at what's going on with the spiral. Spirals have been primary goddess symbols since the late Paleolithic, when they were marked on tombs. They represent the divine feminine, the movement of creation, death, and rebirth. Okay. Now, if they're talking about the rebirth of ongoing forever in the spiral that just never ends, reincarnation, what have we seen many times before? Does the Bible teach reincarnation? Absolutely not. Hebrews 9.27 says what? It is appointed man to die how many times? Once. And then face judgment. You're going to die and you're going to stand before God. And hopefully you got Jesus Christ there as your mediator, your advocate, as Hebrews says. And says, Father, they've been forgiven. <laughs> yeah. Okay. If he ain't there for you, you're in a heap of trebuchets, right? Uh, and that's what's going to happen, okay? But they believe that that spiral combined with the mother goddess represents the continuation of life, death, rebirth, this endless cycle, which you're going to find out, uh, hopefully, unfortunately, sooner than later, hopefully you get saved. But um, if you keep going down that route, you're going to be in for a rude awakening. Uh, the third symbol is, again, ties into that kind of aspect, and this is what's called the triple crescent. Now, again, you might start to see some of these out in public after we go through this. And you might be amazed at how much they're actually out there, but you didn't realize it because you weren't equipped on the occult symbols. This is the triple crescent. The triple crescent is a, a moon icon. And again, it represents the triple goddess concept. Again, notice it's a triple. So what's the emphasis? On three. We'll get to that again in a second. It weaves together, as you can see there, three different crescents. Okay, one crescent facing upward, the remaining two crescents facing left and right. It's also, they believe, a visual representation of the other aspect of the triple goddess, i.e. the, the, uh, the mother, the maiden, the mother, and the crone. And then right there, believe it or not, in the very center, because it creates a little kind of black hole in the center there, uh, the interior knot or space represents the dark goddess aspect uh, as well. Now, it's very similar to another one that you might see out there. Uh, once in a while, I get emails. Hey, Pastor Billy, I saw, and typically it's tattoos. My daughter, my niece, or nephew got this tattoo, and it's kind of weird. My coworker, they got this weird tattoo, and I don't know what it is, you know. Well, sometimes these kids are getting tattooed with occult stuff. Now, this one's very similar to what's called the Triple Horn of Odin. Has there been any movie series lately that uh, kind of glamorizes uh, the Norse gods and and all, yeah, we'll get into that eventually uh, in another study. Uh, but yeah, this is Odin, okay? And it's made up of three interlocking drinking horns, and it represents Odin, the father of the Norse gods. And the horns represent the three drops of magical mead or brew that he drank. And uh, for three nights, again, what's the focus here? Three, three drinks for three nights. Odin takes a drink from these, you know, brew, this magical, getting power, what have you. Uh, and, of course, this is being portrayed in a number of uh, popular uh, movies today. Certainly the Avengers, with, uh, portrayed by uh, Odin's, played by Sir Anthony Hopkins. And if you, in that movie, there's a scene there, and he's got his magical meads and all that stuff is going on there. Where also Odin appears in American Gods, which is another story, uh, movie, which I believe uh, is really horrible if I recall right, if it's the same one I'm thinking about, so I certainly don't recommend that. Uh, but the big one that we're really familiar with, and uh, it's this, it's the pentagram. 
Okay, now the pentagram is, man, it's all over the place. Uh, it's in the music industry. It's also in Satanism. It's in all kinds of occult. But let's begin to break down the pentagram. Okay, as you can see, it's a five-pointed star. Uh, it also has different names. Uh, sometimes it's called the star pentagon, the pentalpha, or the pentangle. Okay, sometimes it's got a circle around it. But it's still a pentagram even without the circle. Now, why is it called a pentagram? Pentagram stems from the Greek word pente, meaning five. It's got five points. And grama, grame, meaning line. Okay? Uh, and to them in the witchcraft, it's a symbol of high magic. And they believe this thing, man, is going to give you either big-time protection or big-time power uh, by having this pentagram with you. And this one goes far back as not just the Greeks, but even the Babylonians. Right? And again, we're not surprised because what is witchcraft? Nothing new under the sun, right? Started way back then and it's still going on today. And believe it or not, even the Greeks, when it came to the pentagram, uh, they used the pentagram was once a secret sign as part of being the Pythagoras school, right? So if you, if you know church history and some of the Christians during the heavy-duty persecution after the birth of the church and the Roman Empire was uh, taking Christians to the lions and all that stuff, you know, Christians would write in the dirt, you know what, the fish symbol, and that's how they would, you know, so they could secretly let people know that they're a Christian. Well, believe it or not, the Greeks, if they wanted to let people to know that they were part of the Pythagoras school, where we get the Pythagorean theorem, okay, for those of you hooked on math, uh, they would use the pentagram. So this, is how far, this has been around for a long time. Now, just to give you a, a couple other historical uses, believe it or not, Constantine, if you're familiar with Constantine, speaking of the early church, whew, that guy was responsible for bringing paganism into the church. He basically uh, made Christianity popular and acceptable, and the church got flooded with a bunch of phony, baloney believers. Because now it was easy. Before, when the persecution happened and was happening, for a couple centuries, uh, uh, your life was on the line as a Christian. Do you think you had a bunch of fake Christians? <laughs> no, because who would play that game when literally you're going to come, they're going to throw you to the line. So it kept the church pure. He comes along, says he becomes a Christian, and then makes it the official religion of the Roman Empire. And there's a big debate about that. But basically, then it took the heat off, and then everybody started coming to church services, so to speak. Do we have to deal with that today? Yeah, a lot of phonies dealing with today. And it basically, from then on, shortly after Constantine, you had the birth of the first pope. And right after Roman Catholicism, Roman Catholicism took off, then Western civilization became what? It was called the Dark Ages, where Roman Catholicism not only controlled the governments in that whole hemisphere, but they also con controlled the religion and kept a stranglehold until the Protestant Reformation came along and says, we're getting out of this joint and we're going back to the Bible and we're going to follow what God says to do. But that started with him. But guess what? Constantine, guess what? Guess what he used as a seal? The pentagram. So that kind of tells you a little bit of his true background. Again, they were worn as ambulance around one's neck. Uh, they're also uh, referenced and used for uh, necromancy and things of that nature. Now listen to this. If the star has one point up, then the star is supposed to be, this is according to witchcraft, uh, uh, supposed to have positive meanings, and it's called a pentacle. But if you got two points up with one down, then that, and this is their quote, not mine, it has more sinister meanings, like we saw before with the exciting logo of the Democrat Party. What version do they have? One point up that's supposed to be good? No. 
two points up, one point down. And witchcraft says that means sinister meanings. What's the Jeff uh, Fox, what they say? There's your sign. Okay, but anyway, so you got that. Now, some Wiccans uh, wear the star uh, with the single point up, and they believe by doing that, that's what's going to give them magical protection. Okay, but let's take a look at that. The five-pointed star or pentagram is by far the most easily recognizable Wiccan symbol. Each point represents one of the five alchemical elements, air, water, fire, earth, and spirit. It is said that the upright pentagram symbolizes the triumph of the spirit over matter and earthly desires, while the inverted pentagram symbolizes personal gratification over spirituality. The pentagram is used to invoke or banish forces, and also as a shield against psychic or physical danger. It can be used as a protection symbol or a lucky charm, but it's generally considered sacred by Wiccans and other pagans. Yeah, and again, notice the keyword other pagans. This is huge in the occult, all kinds of stuff. Uh, now, notice that there's a little bit more to it. It's not just it's got five points. The five points represent what's called the five elements, okay? And these elements are called upon in their rituals to do their supposed dirty deeds and spells and hexes and all kinds of stuff uh, as well. And the elements are air, fire, water, earth, and the final one being what's called ether or the spirit. Okay, let's take a look at that. Alchemical Symbols Greek philosopher Empedocles was the first to propose four elements, fire, earth, air, and water. He called them the four roots which make up everything else. The fifth element is known as ether or spirit. These five elements are invoked during many magical rituals, notably when consecrating a magic circle. All right, so again, it's not just a shape. It's not just something they wear as a talisman for protection and things of that nature. Each one of those five points represent what they call the five elements. And each one of those five elements, depending on what you want to do, is the direction you go with your incantation. So let's begin to break that down. This is huge in the occult, folks. All right, let's deal with that first one there on the left on the upper word, and it's called air. Okay, is, is typically how that is. Uh, air is, again, one of the four classic elements that's invoked in Wiccan rituals and not to mention the rest of the occult. It's supposed to be the element of the east and is connected with the soul or the breath of life, i.e. air, okay? Uh, and it's also associated with various spirits and, quote, elemental beings. In some belief systems, it also symbolizes access to angels and demons. Now, uh, because they believe that it's associated with the air. Now, that's interesting, because if you open your Bibles, go ahead to Ephesians chapter 2, okay, you're going to see something very interesting. And again, we're dealing with one of the five elements on the pentagram, air, okay? And they believe that, guess what? That's where angels, demons, and uh, things can be accessed as that nature. But uh, let's take Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2. Here's what Paul says. As for you, you were, key word were, <laughs> you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to, key word there again, used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the who? The ruler of the kingdom of the air. The what? Spirit who is now at work in those who are what? Disobedient. What are we referring to? Obviously, Satan, demons, and things of that nature. That's the kind of things that you used to follow. And again, witchcraft believes the same thing too. Uh, but that's what the air symbol uh, symbolizes. Let's take a look at the next one. The next one is earth. Okay, earth is considered an ultimate symbol of the, quote, divine feminine. It symbolizes to them new growth and life. 
uh, because it's where the fertility, the crops grow in the earth, right? Uh, and they see the earth as a, not just a source of life, but as a giant womb from which all of life and things that uh, nature uh, go towards. Uh, but some people believe that, speaking of the earth symbol, uh, some people believe that the earth has these things called ley lines. Okay, the cult is really big in these things. So is New Age. We dealt with this before. Uh, that run supposedly through the earth. And the idea of ley lines are their magical occult alignments that uh, these lines carry positive and negative energy. And then whenever you have two of these lines intersect, they believe that it creates a super duper hotspot of great power and energy. And then if you go there and do your rituals and all that stuff, boy, you're gonna, it's just putting like things on turbo. Okay, is what they believe there. Uh, such sites would be Stonehenge, they believe, is one of these ley line cross points in the occult. Uh, been there, done that. And, uh, but uh, Glastonbury, Tor, Sedona, Arizona, huge New Agey occult area there. But be, and it's not just by chance. They believe that's where the lines converge, and it creates a hot spot. And it certainly creates a hot spot for uh, the town likes it for tourism, but what are you inviting? <laughs> Cold New Age stuff. It's not good. Uh, and, uh, and, things like, and also Machu Picchu, as we saw before in our study in Latin America. They believe that's a hot spot there. And we do know that in there, guess what? They did all kinds of occult, horrible, rotten stuff uh, as well. Uh, also, the earth uh, is uh, symbolized not just with that symbol, but the, it, it symbolizes uh, Gaia, Gaia worship, earth worship, Mother Earth, things of that nature. Uh, also, the Egyptian god of the land was Geb. And in the tarot cards, earth is associated uh, with that as well. So let's move on to the third element. Again, we're dealing with the pentagram. What do the five points represent? Okay, the next one is fire. They believe that fire symbolizes being purified or masculine energy. It's associated with this uh, south. Uh, they believe that fire destroys, which it does, uh, regular fire, uh, and also they believe it can create new life. So in witchcraft, they go in this direction because they believe that when you use the fire element, it will help provide a transformation and a change, and that you want to use the fire element when you want inner growth or change in your life or whatever, and the way that you do that in your ritual, as we saw depicted in the pentagram uh, picture before, is you use candles. Now, why would you use candles in this ritual? Because you light a candle and what comes out of it? Fire, okay. That's why candles are big with the occult because it's a quick area way to get fire where you're at. You don't always have to build a fire. You can just get a candle and get the fire and that's what they believe. So oftentimes when uh, police will go to uh, spots where rituals have been transformed, you'll find evidence of a fire or candles because the candles produce the fire. But that's used in the ritual uh, as well. But sometimes they do build a fire, not just candles. And uh, they do these things called, still to this day, a bonfire, right? Uh, is what they'll use in the occult. And they use the fire for scrying and divination purposes, right? Uh, as we saw before, we'll get to in just a second with the next one, with water. Uh, Nose hair Domus or Nostradamus. Uh, he did the witchcraft technique at what's called scrying with water. And you just stare at it, take some hallucinogens, and you get your visions. Well, they do the same thing with fire. You just get a big old thing of fire going or a candle, and you just stare at the flame. 
and then they use that for divination purposes. Uh, if you recall the New Ager, uh, Shirley MacLaine, and her movie that she did back in the 80s, I believe, Out on a Broken Limb or a Limb or whatever that was. Remember that? Uh, they were big on showing her meditating, getting to an altered state of consciousness. But she was what? She was staring at a candle, a flame, a fire. That's a classic occult technique, right? But that's supposed to get them into getting these visions and things of that nature. Also, the bonfire is huge uh, for pagan traditions, witchcraft, on what's called Beltane. We'll probably get into their holidays and rituals. Uh, we really need to call them, you know, holiday comes from holy day. Uh, we need to call what they do unholy days. Uh, we'll get to that probably next time. Uh, but on Beltane or Halloween, Halloween is a witchcraft holiday. We'll probably get into that called Beltane. Uh, but they have their, it's big on that particular aspect of their calendar to have a bonfire. Okay, it's also called a bonfire or a bale fire. It's made from uh, bales of straw or wood. And it was uh, started way back with the Druids and the Celts. And what they would do is they didn't just have a bonfire. That's what we call it now. But it was literally a bone fire. And what they would do is they would uh, have animal bones. Some reports say human bones. Okay. And they would burn them in the fire, hence a bone fire, to supposedly ward off evil spirits. And witchcraft still does this still to this day. We just kind of cleaned it up. You know, you know hey, let's have a bonfire. No, sorry, I'll pass. Right? Uh, and, uh, but you say bonfire. It's, oh, that sounds like fun. Let's go get some s'mores. No, you don't want to be a part of this. Okay? Uh, but bonefires were used for rituals. The idea was that the bonefire would purify. Uh, also, as we saw before earlier in some of our videos of modern-day witches and Wiccans, they would what? They would leap over the fire. Do you remember that? Some of the videos, right? Well, that was back old tradition. Couples who were to be wed on May Day, which we'll get to in a second, would leap through the flames of the bone fire to seal their vows. So that was a pagan ritual for marriage. Also, coals from the bone fire would be taken home, not just to light their hearths, but it was taken back to be like a good luck charm. But you're taking bones from a fire. It could be human bones too. It's kind of gross. Now, they would also not just have a bone fire. They would have a maypole. And they would do that on May Day. Now, what's that all about? Well, we still deal with that. A maypole dance. Okay, there's your bone fire uh, that witchcraft and folks still do to this day. But they also still do a ritual called the maypole dance. Okay, now this one's done around a pole. It's kind of cleaned up and depicted from colonial times. Okay, but uh, originally uh, with the Celts and the uh, Druids and the, the pagans, they did it around a tree. And again, that's that nature worship and things of that nature. Uh, but they would do this as a part of their rituals to ensure fertility. And it was typically performed on May Day, which again is May 1st. And that's still a public holiday. May 1st, May Day uh, is around this ancient, frankly, occult festival. Okay, now what's also interesting, in 1889, guess who chose May Day as the date for their day of celebration? The International Workers' Day of Socialists and Communists. I'm sure they chose that occult holiday just for, by random. No, it's not, because I don't have time to get into this really super deep, but Karl Marx, who was the originator of communism, uh, was involved in the occult, in fact, on his deathbed, guess what he was doing? He was burning candles to Lucifer, the fire, right? 
I don't know if he was trying to purify of whatever he was sick of, but obviously it didn't work, right? And his nurse, the report is, he screamed at his nurse who asked him if he had any last words, and he said, go on, get out. Last words are for fools who haven't said enough, and he died. And it's probably, unfortunately, still in hell to this day. Now, uh, what's big on the, the May Day celebrations, of course, is flowers. Now, why is that big? Because that goes back to, if you recall, back in our history section with Rome, that was a Roman pagan festival time. Uh, Floralia, under the Roman goddess Flora, which is also where we get our word flora duh. Duh. Okay. Uh, and that's the state, and that means the land of flowers. So it comes all the way back to that. But again, now that's all just from fire. The next element is water. Okay, again, pentagram, five points mean five different elements. Water is supposed to represent feminine energy and the aspects of the goddess. It's an inverted triangle, upside down as you can see, and it's considered a feminine and associated with the shape of the womb. Why are they, uh, water is believed the, uh, connected with the West <clears throat> and they use it for healing and purification. Now, we saw that the, uh, the Wiccans, witches, witchcraft, the occult, uses water, uh, especially at the time of the full moon, okay, to do water scrying. Again, as I just mentioned with uh, Nose Herodamus and the things that he was doing, you look in the water, it could be a bowl, could be a pot, uh, you know, things in nature, and just like the fire, you just get into an altered state of consciousness, and you have your visions, and blah, 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 or communicate with demons. In fact, they believe that you can do this with water, the witches, to meditate, and then eventually you can, quote, communicate with water spirits. They call them undines, U-N-D-I-N-E's, but what is that? That's a demon, that's a familiar spirit, just like we saw before, with leprechauns and things of that nature uh, as well. Uh, also, you know what they do? They use water to, again, it symbolizes purification, but the witches use water to create what they call, this is their words, not mine, holy water. Witches create holy water, and they typically will take water They'll combine it with salt and, it's, and with their magical so occult workings. Then they'll use that so-called what they just created, holy water, to put their occult instruments in. And it will purify and cleanse them for the ritual. Anybody else do the holy water? Straight out, man, as we saw before, folks. This is a practice straight out, still practiced today in the occult. Holy water is depicted with Catholicism. Uh, folks, does nothing. When somebody does that on you, all you're doing is getting wet. Okay, but it's very interesting. Once again, you see a pattern that much of the behavior coming out of Roman Catholicism came straight out of Roman witchcraft. Okay, uh, and things of that nature, including holy water. But witches still do that to this day. They also say that you need to use water and go down the water element in your rituals uh, because it, it, uh, when you're wanting to do like a love spell, supposedly, uh, because it's water, it's fluid, and love is a fluid emotion, things of that nature. Also, they say that you want to do the water thing uh, when you want to do a spell or a ritual to, quote, carry away anything negative because like water carries things away and things of that nature. So that's, that's what they believe. Now, let's get to the fifth and final one on the pentagram. That's ether or spirit. Uh, Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, was the one that believed that ether is what fills everything, all these spaces in the invisible. Uh, it's called the quintessence or meaning the fifth essence. Okay. Uh, in India, ether is known as the akasha. 
Now, if you're familiar with that, we dealt with that in our New Age study, and that was the Akashic Records. Do you guys remember that? And that was the New Age belief that literally, and I'll quote, it's a record of all universal events, thoughts, words, emotions, intent, that have ever occurred, past, present, and future, of all entities and all life forms, not just humans, including animals, of all time. And it's all stored, theoretically, they say, in what's called the mental plane, okay? And that this is something that you could tap into through the occult, and you have access to all knowledge and all experiences of all time and whatever, and that will help you and gain wisdom and your rituals and blah, blah, blah. Obviously, it's not true as we've dealt with many times before in our New Age study, if you recall. Uh, But they say only a, quote, trained occultist can distinguish between actual experience of the astral pictures that will come through your mind when you access through occult means, altered state of consciousness, these so-called Akashic records, okay? Uh, You can only, a trained occultist can discern between the actual ones or the ones just created by your imagination. Uh, It's all demonic. And none of it's coming uh, from God. Okay, so that's the pentagram. We spend a lot of time on that because there's a lot going on with that one. The next one's called the hexagram. The hexagram is basically, if you can look at it and realize this, it's two triangles put together. Okay, Uh, it's like the merging, witchcraft says, of two pyramids. One pointing towards the earth, the other pointing towards the sky. When you put the two together, it creates this hexagram. It's supposed to symbolize the feminine and the masculine uh, deities. It also is representative of a huge occult axiom called as above, so below, right? Is, which is a huge phrase uh, in the occult as well. Uh, it's also in the Hindu belief system and, and many other belief systems. In fact, uh, many would say, oh no, that proves that the Jewish people are involved in the occult because that's the same as the Star of David. I don't necessarily buy into that. I do think that there is other entities who've used it for occult purposes and certainly witches today, but that doesn't necessarily mean uh, that that's what the Jewish people are using it for today. Now, if you do the research, and I did, uh, it did uh, come across uh, by Jewish Kabbalists. We're one of the first ones, and what are the Kabbalists? That's Jewish mysticism, which is the occult stuff. So there is an occult tie to it. But common sense is, okay, does that mean, therefore, that the Jewish people, uh, that means they're following the occult or whatever? No, not necessarily. And basically what it is today, it's become the flag of Israel, as you can see there, depicting the blue star of David on a white background between two horizontal blue stripes. They adopted that five months after they became a nation in 1948, and it's just basically called the flag of Zion today. So it may be used by witches and others in the past, uh, that doesn't mean that Israel is having the same connotations today, even though there is uh, introduced by the Jewish Kabbalists. So maybe some do take it. As we saw the, the Jewish community today, it doesn't mean that they're all Orthodox. Remember in our 20-week Jewish study? I mean, some of them are very, very secular. Uh, in fact, uh, they're one of the most uh, welcoming places of homosexuality on the planet, of all places, uh, is Israel. The, a lot of them are very secular. They're pro-abortion, extremely liberal uh, and things of that nature. So I'm not saying that they're all orthodox, okay, but I don't think you can throw the baby out with bathwater just because it's a hexagram means that they're representing witchcraft. I don't think that will fly, uh, even though, again, they're an eclectic group themselves. The next one's what's called the unicursal hexagram. It's a six-pointed star that can be drawn unicursally, or in other words, it's just one continuous line that you can draw. Okay, let's take a look at that one. 
The unicursal hexagram is a six-pointed star that can be traced in one continuous line rather than by two overlaid triangles. This is significant in ritual magic when invoking and banishing hexagrams must be made. It is typically associated with the teachings of the Lima or the Golden Dawn. Now, keep that in mind, the Golden Dawn there, we're going to see that in a second, who and what that did. Uh, Thelema, okay, what they're talking about there, that was created by Aleister Crowley. Once again, he comes into play. Uh, He had a uh, uh, unicursal hexagram that he had, okay, and, uh, but he added something a little bit to it. See that little thing in the middle? Remember the phrase, do what you will? Uh, That came from Aleister Crowley, right? And, uh, which is the mandate for people today. Do whatever you want, don't tell me what to do. That's the occult phrase. Number one law of Satanism. But in the middle, he's got a what? You know, it looks like a four-leaf clover, but that's actually, there's five things. But it's not a clover, it's a five-petaled flower. And so he added to that, uh, the basically represents the pentagram. So if you see that out in public, that's, that's what that is. Okay, it's also used in, in uh, again, the Golden Dawn, which is a secret society. Okay, and Lord willing, we're going to have whole studies on that. We'll get into that in much greater detail. But the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was a secret society devoted specifically to the practice of the occult, metaphysics, paranormal activities. Uh, It was uh, active in Great Britain, in Europe, and many other places. And listen, many present-day concepts of ritual and magic, such as not just Thelema from Aleister Crowley, but even modern-day Wicca, gets their practices from this old occult uh, group secret society called the Golden Dawn. Now, shocker, and again, we'll have a whole study on these guys. Guess who founded the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn? That was nothing about just the promotion of occult activities. Freemasons. The three founders of their Order of the Golden Dawn were all Freemasons. And we'll find out, Lord willing, if we're still alive and still here and actually make it to that study, who Freemasons really worship and the light that they uh, propose. Uh, proposed to worship it's lucifer i'll just tell you what it is okay the next symbol is that what's called the witch's knot it's also called the witch's ladder and basically this is symbolizing these knots that witches will put together and in their rituals uh to curse and hex people okay let's take a look at that the witch's knot is a protection symbol in folk magic It represents the knot magic practiced by witches during the Middle Ages and was used as a charm against witchcraft, usually carved on doorways of homes and stables. It can be a powerful protection amulet as it symbolizes the binding powers of witches and magic. Okay, but not just a protection thing. This literally is a practice that they would do uh, as they were wanting to hex and curse and put spells on people. Uh, And and what they would do is they would have like uh, some cord and they would, uh, uh, they would be doing the incantation as they're tying the knots. Or sometimes they would tie things into the knots as prescribed to the ritual. Could be a feather, could be other things, beads and things, whatever that was required. But they're, as they're tying these knots and intertwining these things into it, okay, uh, then that would have the effect on the person. Now, uh, let me give you some of the things that they would do. Uh, they would then, not, they would uh, do this curse, the spells, tying the knots in this thing, and then they would hide it, uh, quote, sometimes under the person's mattress, the one that you're trying to bewitch, okay? Uh, uh, the maker would weave into it, quote, aches and pains and other ailments intended for the victims. Sometimes feathers and bones and trinkets were baited in there, uh, braided in there to, for the desired effect. Uh, either way, the special chants are spoken during the creation process, 
okay, uh, to empower the talisman to do the creator's bidding. In fact, it was believed that witches of old cast a death spell over a person by tying the knots and then hiding the cord, okay, and the only way they said that you can undo the spell on the person was you had to find it and then you had to quickly untie the knots before it killed you. So for what it's worth. Uh, I'm just having to go back to that phrase. What's, what's your phrase? Uh, do what you will and ye harm ye not. Uh, death spells, ailments, I want to kill you. Uh, what part of that am I missing here? What do you mean harm? You don't harm nobody. Do whatever you want, just don't harm. What do you, you want to kill people? Again, in your symbols. Another one, of course, is the Hecate's wheel. If you remember, Hecate was the ancient Greek goddess of witchcraft. Okay, and let's take a look at that real quick. Hecate is the Greek goddess of magic, witchcraft, and crossroads. She is often depicted as a woman with three faces, and she rules the underworld. The symbol shows a labyrinthic serpent, which represents rebirth, surrounding a spiral as a symbol of the emanations of divine thought. These are channels which connect the material world with the celestial world. All right, if you call uh, back with Hecate, she was supposed to be also the goddess of crossroads, that uh, she was the go-between between between this world and the spirit world, that you tapped into these deities, which is all demonic is what it is, but that's basically what's going on. And notice that she had how many? Three heads. And Hecate's wheel also symbolizes, again, the triple goddess, again, the maiden mother and the crone, again, the three aspects uh, as well. Uh, uh, according to the, the maze around that uh, aspect there, uh, supposed to represent the spiraling of the serpent, okay? And uh, they, uh, these Hecate wheel symbols that you just saw there have been around for a long time. They found uh, even as far back as first, in the first century, curse tablets, that had Hecate's wheels on. Notice what kind of a tablet? Harm ye none tablet? No, a curse tablet. Been around for a long time. Now, again, speaking of threes, we're going into threes a little bit deeper now, uh, is this next symbol, uh, and that's called the triquetra. This is huge in witchcraft. Again, tri meaning three, okay, and it's common with triple moon symbols. Again, three. It's an ancient Wiccan symbol of power and protection. It's been around for centuries. Uh, nothing new to modern-day Wicca, which is old-fashioned witchcraft. Uh, this symbol is big on runes, okay, which we'll probably get into on a study on druids, uh, Germanic coins, Nordic, Celtic inscriptions. Again, it's got the triple aspect of the maiden, mother, the chrome. Uh, it also is supposed to represent mind, body, and soul, sky, earth, waters, but over and over again, what does it represent? The three. In fact, uh, they're so dominant on that uh, that uh, it is what's called the power of three. Now, if you recall what that is, uh, if you ever watched that show, I didn't. I hear a lot of people, unfortunately, did. But on this, the show Charmed, Charmed uh, f- featured the triquetra. Why? Because how many witches are featured in that show? Three. Because it represents the power of three. That you don't just have one witch. If you get three witches together... Boom, amplified. There's something about three that they believe that will really put you in turbo mode, so to speak. Now, believe it or not, that show has been restarted again in 2018 under the title of The Power of Three, I believe. And so they basically did a reboot, and they're promoting it once again uh, for a whole nother generation. Okay, but let's take a look at the Triquetra. Triquetra, also known as the Trinity Knot, it has many different meanings. 
In Wicca, it can represent the law of threefold return, the power of the number three, or the threefold nature of the goddess. The Celtic Christian Church used it to represent the Holy Trinity, but other cultures used the symbol too, and each attached its own meaning to it. So again, notice it's very, very heavy symbolic with three, the power of three. Now, we're going to probably have a whole study in this, uh, Lord willing, again, for Soul Live and in some other future study, but this gets you into the topic of basically what's called numerology, okay, or number symbolism. But basically, in a nutshell, the occult is huge on numbers. You're getting a little taste of it, right? Uh, tonight was certainly 13 and 3, okay? And a lot of people believe that even certain events that happen in our country, big events, big catastrophic assassinations, things of that nature, they're done on specific dates. Uh, for the, the dirty deeds are done by the dark occult on specific dates, okay? And that's how big they are in numbers. Now, in fact, this comes from a mathematician, a guy named Martin Gardner, he wrote a book uh, called The Magic Numbers of Dr. Matrix, and he brought out some just kind of interesting things that were going on with two assassinations of two of our, our presidents. Just, is it just a quinky dink? And, and, and this is it. Uh, Lincoln was elected president in 1860, Kennedy in 1960. Both were assassinated on a Friday. Lincoln was killed in Ford's theater. Kennedy was killed riding in a Lincoln convertible made by the Ford Motor Company. Both were succeeded by Southern Democrats named Johnson. Andrew Johnson was born in 1808, Lyndon Johnson in 1908. The first name of Lincoln's private secretary was John. The last name of Kennedy's private secretary was Lincoln. John Wilkes Booth was born in 1839. Lee Harvey Oswald was in 1939. Booth shot Lincoln in a theater and fled to a warehouse. Oswald shot Kennedy from a warehouse and fled to a theater. John Wilkes Booth and Lee Harvey Oswald both have 15 letters. The first public suggestion that Lincoln should run for president proposed that his running mate should be a guy named John Kennedy, who was a Maryland politician at that time. Uh, And one guy says this, shift the letter FBI forward six letters in the alphabet and you get L-H-O, the initials of Lee Harvey Oswald. As one guy says, uh, these coincidences are quite startling. And again, I'm not here to promote numerology and things of that nature, but what I am telling you, the occult is big on this. And they do do things on certain days. Uh, even we're, we're not even into it. Lord willing, next time we'll get into their calendar. Their calendar is done on certain days, right? If you have an, a, an event on a 31st, you back it up, you flip it around, it gives you 13, and that's when you start the event for the 31st. It's all numbers, all big base in the occult. Now, speaking of which, we finally get to it. Bust out your phones. Let me give you an example, all right? Now, as we know, uh, we've been dealing with, and I'm not, I'm not gonna say, thus saith the Lord, right? And I'm not gonna try to put too much into this, but I do find it very interesting. We've already seen with the Democrat Party in our study on witchcraft is I believe they've been completely infiltrated by the occult, okay? Behind the, the BLM movement being run by three lesbian witches, admitted, it's all out there now, it's, it's proven. Uh, witches promote socialism, and things of that nature, all the, the underpinnings. The Democrat parties become the party of murdering children, murdering adults, which happens in a witchcraft and all that kind of stuff. And basically the anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-Bible parties, what they turned into. It just so happens, now we're into numbers and it's big on the occult. Um, Joe Biden, right, is out there right now promoting to text 30330. Now, first of all, the mathematical odds. I mean, you could pick any number. How, how many, uh, the odds are astronomical, exponentially astronomical 
Uh, it could have been any number. He, why in the world, of all numbers on the planet, of all possible combinations, do you come up with 30330? All right, here's your test. This year is what? He's running for president in 2020. So type in 2020 and divide that by 666. What pops up? 30330. Now, is that by chance? Again, I'm not going to put it in stock. I'm not going to say, thus saith the Lord. But it's kind of interesting, especially when you know that threes are huge in the occult. And I, I'm like, why, why, why didn't you do one, two, three, four, five? Right? I mean, if you've got a problem with memory that he may very well have, uh, make it simple. One, 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 one. Why? It's very interesting, isn't it? Okay? So anyway, just a little cold, I think. Now, let's finish. speaking of threes, we'll continue on that theme with this next one, the Triskelion. Okay? Uh, now, if you notice there, speaking of threes, we just finished 2020 divided by 666, which 666 is a biblical number mentioned in the Bible, but the occult takes it for different reasons. Uh, the Bible says it's the number of the beast, the Antichrist, that you don't want to have a part of. They like the Antichrist. They want to be a part of that uh, so-called kingdom. But also, you'll see it in society, but people say that this is also representative of three what? Sixes. So they would say that this is also represented. This is straight out of witchcraft. 666 as well. It's a number of three, but also 666. It's got three spirals that interlock. They believe, again, the triple goddess it represents and also waters, earth, and space. Let's take a look at this. The Triskelion or Triskiel is a symbol used primarily by groups with a Celtic cultural orientation, which may have its origins in an ancient solar symbol. It can represent a variety of triplicities, such as the three realms of body, mind, and spirit, the threefold law. And again, what's the impetus? It's on three. Three, three, three is very important. Uh, it's also this, is, again, it's an ancient symbol that appears even in Buddhist writings. Uh, they have what's called the three hairs Triskelion, uh, which is three rabbit ears interlocked, okay? But three is big in the occult uh, as well. And dare I say, it's not just uh, three, but to, to give you uh, another example, so is 13, right? 13 is another huge number. Let me give you a couple examples. Millions of people are terrified of the number 13 to the extent that hotels omit it from their floors. What will you never find in a hotel? The 13th floor. Airplanes do not have a row 13. The numbers for the Formula One cars skip from 12 to 14. So if you have 22 cars, it would be numbered 1 through 23 because they skip it. And many uh, religions have sacred numbers, including, guess who? Freemasonry, which again is all about uh, the occult as well. So that's that. Now let's get into the, the next one. Okay, and that's this one, the septogram. Uh, basically, septogram sept seven, it's got seven points in a continuous unbroken line. Okay, uh, the, the neo-pagans believe this is the symbol of fairies and elves, also called the fairy star or the elven star, which again is familiar spiritual demonic. Uh, practitioners of what's called blue star Wicca, they wear this as their symbol of that branch of Wicca. Uh, it, it again, they believe it has seven points that uh, uh, points to the first seven planets discovered by quote ancient art, uh, astrology. Uh, it also is supposed to represent the seven days of the week, 
And even uh, Muslim, uh, uh, the Quran, they believe that this also, the heptagram, septagram is uh, symbolic of the first seven verses of the Quran, which tells you a little bit about their background. Real quick, the 12th one is the wheel of the year. And this basically is a circle with four intersecting lines that creates eight spokes. And each one of the spokes is, tells them when to do their next ritual in their calendar. Let's take a look at that. The wheel of the year. This symbol represents the cycle of seasons which serve as a calendar for Wiccans. The seasons are divided by eight holidays called Sabbaths. These are celebrations that honor the particular qualities of each time of the year and the relationship of followers with the divinity. So again, it's basically, we'll probably get into that next time, but they have a whole calendar that they follow step by step, all the different phases, and of course, that uh, particular one symbolizes that. Now, it also, their final one that we're going to deal with, and by the way, we're going to skip the prayer and praise, because I've got to get this in, because we're going to talk a little bit about Hitler tonight, and the importance of, of, of what was going on with him. Uh, the third is the solar cross, is the final symbol. And again, there's a ton more, but this is all we're going to deal with. We're already over time. The solar cross uh, represents not just the sun, but the four seasons. See, he's got a little plus there, the four seasons. Also, is supposed to represent the four classical elements. Let's take a look at that. The solar cross has many different representations, and it's probably the oldest religious symbol in the world, appearing in Asian, American, European, and Indian religious art. Consisting of an equilateral cross inside a circle, it represents the solar calendar, each arm being one of the solstices and equinoxes. Now, if you notice there, there was a particular symbol that is also, whether you realize it or not, is carbon copy of the witch's solar cross, and that was... The swastika. Okay, it was not by chance, folks, that Hitler chose that. Okay, this is way back in Hinduism. Again, all countries around the world, unfortunately, continents are covered in witchcraft. Okay, but Hinduism, it was not by chance that he chose the swastika as his symbol. It is an occult symbol. Now, why it's important that we're talking about symbols is they they wore these the swastika all over the Nazis, right? Now, if people, I've got a little theory, I'm not going to say it would have necessarily turned everybody away, but if people realize that the swastika was basically the Nazis' way of saying we're all about the occult, do you think it might have deterred them a little bit from maybe supporting that movement? But most people don't know about the occult. They've never been taught about the occult. They certainly don't know the symbolism because, see, the, the occult will tell you what they're up to. You just have to look. But sometimes if you're not equipped what to look for, when they actually tell you in public what they're up to through numbers and symbols, it'll go in one year out the other. So the value of, again, even tonight's study is you're going to start to see these around, but it's the occult saying, here I am, I'm right in your midst, and I'm doing my dirty deed through numbers and symbols. Same thing with Hitler. Hitler told people from the get-go when he chose the swastika that he was all about the occult. Okay, and I want to give you some of that proof tonight. Uh, any close look at the life of Hitler will reveal the potentiality of such man being a type of the Antichrist. In fact, he's probably the greatest model that we've ever seen in history. Hitler not only hated God and Jesus Christ, but he hated the Jews and attempted to wipe them from the earth in a satanic plot to eliminate them before God could redeem them and give them a kingdom as he's promised in the Bible. Hitler was not just demonic, but if ever there was a man possessed not just by demons or a demon, but literally by Satan himself, it had to be Hitler. Now, this is from the secularists and the people at the Nuremberg trials who were around Hitler. This is what they say about the man. He was not only evolutionist, but he was heavy duty in the occult. And he chose this symbol 
if, if people would realize what it was, he was telling people from the very, very, very beginning what he was all about. Serious black occult magic, dark magic. Okay. Uh, the authors, again, were non-Christians. They present their case at the Nuremberg Trials. Thousands of books, reviews, testimonies, and here's what they say. It's impossible to understand Hitler's political plans and his beliefs and convictions without an understanding of his magical relationship with the occult. In fact, they tell how Hitler was fascinated with mysticism and immersed in it. He saw his own rise as a result of spiritual forces that were pushing him in that direction and that way. Uh, They also say that the explanation of Hitler's deeds uh, was powered by a mystical satanic covenant. Hitler and the Nazi society was, quote, a secret occult society. That's why they chose that symbol. Hitler's whole Third Reich was wedded to the black occult. One of their greatest generals was well-known, a man named Karl Haushofer. Haushofer, for many years, was a member of the secret society of the Golden Dawn. Again, back with that connection. It's an age-old black magic occult society. He also was a part of the society, uh, and it was he who inspired Hitler to write Mein Kampf from the get-go. He had visited Tibet, China, and India, where the swastika what swastika appears. He adopted Buddhist beliefs and he was initiated into secret Buddhist black magic societies of which, quote, suicide was the only way of escape, which is how many of the Nazis ended up killing themselves because that's what the occult does, right? It was said that Haushofer was, had amazing psychic powers and uh, they believed that Haushofer was the black magic, m- magician that controlled Hitler. Even Rudolf Hess said that Haushofer has the power. He was the magician between Hitler and his demonic legions. It was as if Hitler was a medium and Haushofer was the magician. The quote swastika was no German sign. Swastika was a magical symbol in China and Europe, a symbol of the black occult. In fact, in 1925, a group of Tibetan monks moved to Berlin, and these Tibetan monks were a member of a black order swearing allegiance to the power of darkness. From that time on, funds were made available by the Nazis to finance expeditions into Mongolia and Tibet to dig deeper into the black occult. And when Germany fell, several hundred in the Secret Service SS uh, uh, Himalayan Orientals that had no ID were found in the SS uniforms. So these guys were woven into the SS, the uh, uh, Black Occult. The whole Third Reich was infested with monks from the Black Occult. Rosenberg wrote, they were the last of the black monks who helped Hitler's dark menacing movement. And in March of 1946, Hofhauser killed his wife and then before a Buddhist altar killed himself. His son who survived said that he knew his father was the magician behind, behind Hitler. In fact, the seven founders of Nazism were all deep into the occult. Quote, one cannot help but think of him, Hitler, as a medium. Okay. In fact, they said when he spoke, it was not his natural voice. Listen to this. They said he was possessed by demonic forces uh, that he was a temporary vehicle for. They said when he got up in crowds to speak, the voice they heard was not his voice. It was an unearthly voice, not at all like the voice that he used in conversation. So here is a man possessed by Satan, and one person describes how Satan, uh, or how Adolf uh, lived uh, his last days. A quote, a person close to Hitler told me that he wakes up in the night screaming and in convulsions. He calls for help and appears to be half paralyzed. He sees with a panic 
that makes him tremble until the bed shakes. He utters confused and unintelligible sounds, gasping as if on the point of suffocation. Hitler was standing in his room swaying, looking all around as if he were lost and saying, it is he, it's he, it's he, it's he, he's come for me. And he groaned and his lips were white. He was sweating profusely. Suddenly he uttered a string of meaningless figures and then words and scraps of sentences. It was terrifying. Then suddenly Hitler screamed, there, there, over there in the corner, he's there all the time stamping his feet and screaming this is Hitler this is a man totally possessed by Satan attempting to take over the whole world blaspheme God blaspheme uh, and wipe out the Jews quote this is a preview of the Antichrist and that person is coming to the planet again it may very well be alive and well again and you know what my guess is you know what the Antichrist is probably involved in just like Hitler the occult and he's going to be possessed by Satan. It's not going to be good. But again, in order for that to happen, in order for people to go along with a satanic occult figure called the Antichrist, the planet once again has to be permeated with what? Witchcraft and the acceptance of it and what's happening right now. It's a setup for the Antichrist. The final last days Hitler, who also is going after the Jewish people again. Zechariah says... Revelation 12 says he's going to annihilate two-thirds of the Jewish people. Another holocaust is coming in the seven-year tribulation. It's crazy. History is being repeated and the rise of witchcraft and Wicca is setting it up right now as we sit here, which is why people need to be warned, warned about what? They need to be warned about not just their beliefs, but what? The symbols, even their numbers. They'll tell you what they're doing. You'll see witchcraft and the occult in your community if you pay attention to what you find the remains of the rituals, the numbers, the symbols that they spray paint, the tattoos that they wear, what they got on their shirts, they're letting you know that they're out there and they're getting more and more bold. And just as Isaiah warned in our opening text, those people that go down that route and who get snookered, we need to love them, not be scared. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. We need to love them enough to tell them about Jesus so they can be set free. I wonder what would happen if somebody would have witnessed to Hitler. Could God have saved him? You better say yes. If you don't, you don't understand the power of the cross of Christ. He could save anybody, right? But that's what we need to do because there's people getting snookered involved in witchcraft today and people need to confront them in love and ask what this pastor asked this guy. How's it working out for you? Why don't you try Jesus? Watch this. Stephen Beatty was a self-professed warlock. As a Wiccan, he cast spells and had several dark demonic encounters. His trek to the dark side began in 2001, when his girlfriend had a miscarriage. When it didn't work out and the baby was stillborn, I was completely crushed. I had no idea where to go, where to turn. I couldn't think. All I could think about was how badly and how much I wanted this child. Stephen blamed God for his baby's death. Partly due to the miscarriage, his relationship with his girlfriend ended. Stephen was totally broken. He turned to drinking and drugs to mask the anger in his soul. I'd started getting into cocaine and prescription drugs, painkillers, antidepressants and stuff like that. Stephen said he felt like an outcast until he entered the world of goth. That's where he met and married Dottie, who had two girls from a previous marriage. They didn't care what I was doing, 
They didn't care what I looked like, and they didn't care how I acted. I remember wearing two to three inch spikes around my neck, three, four inch spikes on my wrist. Stephen, Dottie, and their goth friends also participated in intricate role-playing games. They had different roles like vampires, werewolves, a mage, which was a witch. They had what they called dark angels. And that opened the door to something even darker, the occult. At first, I didn't want anything to do with it. But the more I hung out and the more I was there, I think I started searching for some kind of religious stability because I needed a set of beliefs to live by. And I didn't want to change my life. So Wicca kind of fit the bill at the time. The Wiccan rituals and spells opened him up to what he calls demonic encounters. One day at his home, Stephen and some friends noticed an object, a knife, moving on its own. It started spinning, and nobody was touching it. And one of my friends looked at me, he said, did you see that? And I said, yes, and everybody that was in the house left. Months later, he had an encounter he would never forget. In the dead center of my room, there was a dark figure just kind of sitting like cross-legged. It was just sitting there looking at me, levitated off the floor. It gives you chills, and it was really scary. Stephen was terrified when he saw the power of Satan. He knew his life needed to change. Then one day, while attending his stepdaughter's soccer practice, he met another dad, a pastor who invited him to church. I said, I'm going to tell you why I don't go to church. I said, I'm a witch. I believe in Wicca. And he just looked, he looks at me and he says, well, how's that working out for you? And I said, not too good. The pastor gave him a Bible and Stephen began reading. And then on Easter Sunday, he went to church to see his stepdaughter sing in the choir. That was the day his life totally changed. It was just the music, the songs, and just the message. It was just the way the story of Christ was laid out, that it really, it really made me understand that, that I needed Christ in my life and that I was a sinner. Stephen began to pray. I told God that I knew that I was wrong in the way that I lived, that everything about my life was wrong and I needed forgiveness and just wanted Jesus, I just wanted Christ in my heart and in my life. It was an overnight change. I had already given up almost everything from my past. I was still drinking, but it was like overnight. I didn't want to drink anymore. My language cleared up. Just the way that I carried myself, it was an overnight change. From somebody completely steeped, lost as a goose, involved in the occult, but what changed them literally overnight, inside and out? Jesus Christ. That's why we have something to share called the gospel, which means good news. It's the good news that Jesus Christ can save and forgive anyone, no matter what they've done, and we have the privilege to tell other people that message. Amen? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell?
Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place, so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, 
the gavel's been passed. The judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty. Uh, you even admit you're guilty. And uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.